Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to What Goes Up, a weekly markets podcast. My name is Mike Regan, and I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. And this week on the show, despite lingering unemployment, the American consumer appears to be in pretty good shape. Many wallets and bank accounts are swollen from either government stimulus payments or the money saved from not leaving the house for very much during the pandemic. But what will these consumers spend it on? Uh, Has the pandemic changed spending habits permanently or at least in the near future? We'll get into it with a portfolio manager and an analyst who covers the consumer discretionary and industrial sectors. But first, Charlie Pellet, tell us who this week's mystery co-host is. This week's mystery co-host is Chris Nagy. Chris is a Boston guy at heart who's an executive editor for Markets of Bloomberg That means he's actually Regan's boss, so don't expect Mike to make any jokes about the Celtics' performance in the playoffs this year. Well, at least not on this episode of the podcast. Chris, Charlie's right. I'm not going to make any jokes about the Celtics. I I will say I I, I hope, you know, you guys could have softened up the rest of the conference a little bit for us, but but no. Didn't really do that. I think we energized them. There's nothing funny (laughs) to say about that. Series, uh, mo- maybe not on. from your from your perspective. There, there are mm. there's there's a lot to say from from us in mm-hmm. Philadelphia. But uh, mm. but Chris, as I put it out in the intro, we have a uh, a great guest this week who knows a lot about consumer stocks and, and consumer behavior. Before we bring her in, though, I wanted to ask you about one thing that I know American consumers are spending a lot on these days, and that's the meme stocks and the the Doge coins <laughs> of the world. The aisles are bare. Yeah, that's right. The aisles are bare of meme stocks. You and I have been through a lot of, let's face it, crazy market regimes together uh, in this this job of ours. But I don't think we've ever seen anything like this, that what we've seen in the past year. I'm just curious, you know, we haven't talked in a while. What's your take on this sort of new uh, environment of day traders that we're seeing now? I mean, I guess it echoes to some degree the big day trading craze back in the day in the early 2000s. But this seems to be something completely different. I mean, is it is this just a, a permanent change, do you think, in the, the sort of makeup of the investor class, or, or is it just a fad? I, I guess it remains to be seen if it's permanent, but you do have to say it's outlasted a lot of the, the, the predictions of its demise. Like, there were a lot of sort of conventional wisdom ideas that it would run out when people went outside or when sport events, sports came back, like the Celtic series. Um, or the uh, stimulus checks ran out. And right now you have to say, I mean, I I think it is important. It's not quite the same absolutely uncorked craze that it was during the first go around. It seems like it's a little bit more selective now. They're they're honing in on their targets, maybe doing a better job of of targeting companies that sort of fit their model. But um, it's starting to seem like Maybe it wasn't entirely a uh, a function of the of the lockdown, and what it was was the discovery of another way to crowdsource uh, 
uh, what people want in the world. And to that to that extent, you have to either worry or <laughs> hope that it's permanent, depending on your side of the uh, which side of the the trade you're on. It it does seem like aspects of it are going to be tough to root out for, or or, it, or just are going to be are going to linger. I mean, there's just. Uh, it just seems to be it just seems to be working too well to to be going to a, a quick death. I say bring the retail brokerage commissions back and and we'll get back to life as normal. But maybe I'm maybe I'm the outlier there. That's a fair point. There was a big uh, this week. There's a big uh, push at the SEC to to look at some of the market structure stuff that's uh, underpinned this. So that certainly it's made uh, commission free trading possible. Uh, like uh, some of the the you know the market structure, the payment for order flows, things, and maybe maybe if that gets unended, that some of the hysteria. I mean, certainly the ability to trade for nothing is uh, a big a big part of what's uh, what's driving it. I don't know that it's absolutely necessary, but it's certainly a, a facilitating influence on the whole thing. Right, absolutely. All right, well, let's get to it then with our guest. Uh, as I said, she's a portfolio manager and an analyst. She covers the consumer discretionary and industrial sectors at the investment firm. Westwood. Her name is Lauren Hill. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me here. I'm happy to be here. And, and Lauren, much as I will not make any jokes about the, the Celtics, I'm not going to make any jokes about you being a member of the Fugees. Oh, God. <laughs> I wish I could sing, too. <laughs> as, as much as right. spelled differently, though. So at least I'm sure you wish you wish you'd never heard that before. I know. I was going to ask how many times you've heard that joke, but I, I, I'm sure it's it's daily, at least. Uh, it's not a joke. So it doesn't even qualify. Doesn't even qualify as a joke. Oh, all right, all right. Jeez. Moving on. Yeah. All right. I lived in the city for eleven years, and uh, Lauren, the real Lauren Hill, lived in New Jersey. So people were always giving me updates when they'd see her on the street. They'd be like, "I saw your name today." Like, <laughs> it's really funny. Pride of New Jersey. We're very proud of her. I will say though, she does have a reputation for being late on stage, and you were right on time. So you got you got that uh, uh, distinction there too. But Lord, let me ask you about the whole notion of consumers. I think it's a great time to have you on the show because boy, everybody is ready for the consumer to come roaring back now that the lockdowns are over, everyone's vaccinated. And I want to ask you a little bit of, of kind of how you sort of suss out where you think the consumer's uh, going to go. And, I, and I'll tell you why. One of the big things that a lot of people were looking at during the pandemic was the various sort of alternative sets of data that we have available to us in real time. One thing that a lot of people looked at was open table restaurant reservations. And I get it as sort of a, the notion of as a macro indicator that the economy is reopening, people are more comfortable getting back out there. But to me, you know, I, I don't think I can't think of a lot of public companies that actually have restaurants that need reservations to. So to me, I, my point being, and this is a long monologue to set up this question, but the point being that, you know, do we know how the consumer is going to start spending this bankroll they have now? Um, because I'm thinking if a lot of people crave, say, a, a fancy dinner out, um, that has different implications, obviously, than, say, people craving uh, a chance to get back shopping at the malls or going to the movies. I'm just curious how you're analyzing the consumer in this reopening environment. Um, and, and where do you expect that spending to be most robust? Yeah, um, absolutely. So I'm really, really positive on the consumer. I think we're going to have uh, a really incredible rebound from here. I think the spending is going to surprise a lot of people, um, both in terms of the magnitude and how long it lasts. So um, I think that the consumer, uh, the way I look at things is um, 
you know, kind of by generation. So um, I think that we're going to have a robust uh, rebound in spending, and that's going to be led by the boomers. I think that when you get down to the younger folks, they're going to be doing all kinds of different things. But just um, the group I spend a lot of time on is what I call the boomers plus. That's people 55 and older. So they only make up 29% of the population, but they control over 70% of U.S. wealth. So, um, you know, they were the most reluctant to get out during 2020. And now um, they are returning uh, to their old shopping patterns. And uh, they've been adulting for a very long time, you know, in some cases, 50 years. So they have really well-established patterns of spending and they're getting back to it. Life is short. Um, they're putting family and friends and catching up with them as a high priority. I think that's going to last two to three years. I think that's going to boost travel. We're going to see a lot of what I call social interaction spending. So we're gonna see hotel spending, vacations, people out at sit down restaurants. We're gonna see a lot more services. There's tremendous pent up demand for services. We don't quite have the labor force uh, back uh, as we need them. There's still 16.9 million people on the sidelines collecting unemployment right now. Before the pandemic, that was just 2 million. So, um, you know, the true unemployment rate's probably still around 10%. But I think, you know, as the um, federal bonus, the 300 a week extra that people are getting right now to help them get by, uh, goes away the first week of September, I think we're going to start to see uh, an easing of that pressure in the labor market. More people are going to be out there. More services are going to be available. That's going to kind of ease the pressure on goods um you know, that people are so focused on spending on goods right now at the moment. But I think uh, we're going to get back to that natural balance. And um, I think Boomers Plus are going to lead us out of it. And, um, you know, the younger folks, they they don't have as well established patterns, especially those just out of college. So I really believe that um, their spending patterns may be affected for a very long time. You know, um, in the last downturn, we talked about a lost decade. You know, it could kind of look like that. But kind of uh, the big picture is they just don't have the spending power. Um, in fact, uh, Gen X only has a third of the uh, the wealth of um, the boomers and uh, Gen, Gen Y only has uh, one fifteenth. So even though um, they may spend more time at home and they already were before the pandemic, which is I find really fascinating. They were already um, kind of creating this homebody economy. They had high student loans. They uh, had, you know, different pressures in their life. They were getting around to getting married, buying houses later in life. So uh, they were already kind of willing to have more of a home life. And uh, I think that's going to kind of continue. So different groups are going to do different things. But uh, because of the, you know, the I think boomers um, rule the world. And I think that they're going to lead us out of this. Um, the, the last interesting thing is, um, you know, the most recent uh, data shows that 75% of the boomers plus have had at least uh, one a shot from the COVID vaccine series. So I think that gives them a lot of confidence to really get out there. You know, the younger folks, um, it's been more mixed, you know, just I don't think there's as much urgency. People are waiting to see if um, perhaps their schools are going to require it in the fall, you know, if they're in college and people are making all different kinds of choices. But, um, you know, the older folks just felt a little more urgency. And um, I think that's a really uh, healthy and great thing for the U.S. economy. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. 
It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. It's interesting. I live in downtown Manhattan. I actually live right next to Washington Square Park where you used to, one used to notice and absolutely agree. I, I've lived around here for a long time. And when I was a kid, um, the, the, the streets were pretty much mobbed all night uh, in this area every every weekend night certainly and then uh for like the last 10 years it's really been like you could hear pin drop for most of the time part part of it is that uh you know the rents and the houses here are now 11 million dollars no matter no matter what but another part of it i always thought was sort of people the kids are tapping into their phones and staring at their phones and interacting via things that don't require you to go outside i would just say in the last three months two months you haven't seen, to put it mildly, the same reticence amongst the the Gen Y and the Zoom, the Zoom gener- the very young generation. They are, they are outside in force uh, at the moment. They will not let me sleep. They party until three in the morning in Washington Square. Uh, they seem like they're very interested in getting back on uh, outside. But I I I do know where you're coming from. I mean, um, who who benefits from? Just the boomer trade. I mean, are there are there companies where this hasn't been priced in yet? Is there industries? Because it seems like a lot of stuff that's tied to reopening because people have people have rooted it out and found it at this point. Mm-hmm. Anywhere the boomers direct their spending, uh, you know, they're going to be big beneficiaries. So, you know, we're seeing um, what I call the social interaction categories are really getting a big lift right now. So, um, you know, I'm seeing a tremendous momentum in retail. So, um, you know, just a lot of the department stores, the mall-based retailers, you know, they really kind of let us out of, um, you know, the the rebound and, um, you know, out of uh, last year following the vaccine announcements in November. So that group's been really strong. Anything associated with travel, car rentals, uh, you know, anything associated with services. And, you know, a lot of those stocks have moved quite a bit. So um, really what I love so much is that we're really entering what I consider to be a stock picker's market. Um, That's really where, you know, firms like mine, like Westwood shine. So I'm really looking forward to many years of just a really healthy market where, we're really focused on the fundamentals and, you know, we have this really healthy, um, long lasting spend um, backdrop. So one of the other things I think people are overlooking, what I think consensus is, is that, OK, we have the stimulus checks. You know, we just got the fourteen hundred dollar checks the last round. You know, we've had over two grand given out to, you know, many, many um, families. And that's wonderful. But um you know, it, it's kind of one and done. And I actually think it's going to be more sustained. So we're having a tremendous uh, positive wealth effect. And so both the stock market's up double digits, uh, home valuations are up uh, double digits as well. And um, people just feel wealthier. They've saved quite a bit. Um, you know, in many cases, you know, obviously there's um, the 
last year was hard for everyone in different ways. And some people, you know, went through job loss and transitions, but by and large, a lot of people made it through, especially the oldest generation, like the boomers plus made it through relatively unscathed. So I think that, um, you know, they're, they are ready. There's a, all those areas where there's pent up demand are going to continue to benefit and the spending is going to be orderly. I don't think it's going to be so quick um, in goods and services that it's going to force the Fed's hand and we're going to have to raise rates. You know, that's my personal opinion. I know that everyone kind of falls, you know, uh, along the spectrum in different places with different views on that. But um, I think that if any area um, starts to have too much inflation, then I think that people are very rational and they're going to take their um, tremendous savings and they're going to spend it in different categories that are more compelling. So right now, the savings um, is just over six trillion dollars in the U.S. So that's four point three trillion more than we had going into uh, the pandemic. So uh, that's going to take a long time to spend down. And I think it will be fairly orderly. I think people are going to take their time catching up with folks and enjoying their lives. And, um, you know, I, I'm seeing it in fashion, too. There's just so many uh, exciting fashion trends coming. I think people are really ready to be happy again. Uh, this summer, it's all about the bright colors. Uh, I don't know if you've been to the mall lately, but um, it is just, uh, you know, it looks like it was attacked by a highlighter. Um, it it was, you know, you see neon greens and um, electric blues, uh, corals, a big color, hot pink, uh, you know, and just oranges. And people are ready to see and be seen again. Um, also, for the fall, I was really excited to see um, the fall fashion. Lots of crazy patterns coming in the fall and just very interesting to look at something that'll catch the eye. And uh, I think that people have you know, been staring at the four walls of their home for such a long time. They're just ready for variety. And I think that's coming. It's a great perspective, Lauren, um, because uh, as you might be able to uh, determine from looking at Chris and I, uh, we don't know much about fashion at all here. But, <laughs> but, but I wonder if that that color, yeah, that color thing could be a good indicator, you know, like the, the old hemline indicator they used to talk about. If people are in a, a fashion very bright and colorful fashion mode. Maybe, maybe that uh, that's a bullish sign. Um, I also am glad you're giving some props to the boomers. The, the, the group that does not get a lot of props these days from the younger generation. I'm personally not a boomer. I am accused of being one a lot uh, on social media. I'm not going to speak for Chris. Uh, he he might be. No, a little... I'm a Gen, Gen X all the way. Gen, yes, yes, right. Very. I may be a little bit on the boomer spectrum with at least it with musical mm -hmm. taste, I will say, and, and perhaps, mm -hmm. perhaps fashion taste too, the khakis and, and, and whatnot. But I want to ask also about the industrials. I know you follow industrials as well. Um, and there was a lot of sort of enthusiasm towards the industrial sector uh, earlier this year. Now it's looking like um, the infrastructure bill is probably not going to necessarily go anywhere in Congress. I mean, is there enough um, sort of juice in the economy to, to be excited about the industrial sector as well? Or is this, you know, case closed, a, a consumer dominated sort of market story from a, a sector perspective, in your opinion? Mm -hmm. I am more excited about the consumer and what I'm seeing, you know, specifically within retail. 
um, you know, especially for businesses that have the strongest brands, the deepest pockets, they can invest in omni-channel. You know, I think that's all a great opportunity. Looking over at the industrials, uh, you know, I, I think that there's um, room for excitement as far as there's some new technologies coming out. And, you know, anytime a company has, you know, some new great patents, some new product lines, they can grow. I just think that there's kind of a limit or a cap on how quickly that can grow. You know, we, we have the infrastructure that we have and, you know, there's a, a limit to what full production looks like for us. And uh, over time, the U.S. has made less, you know, and, and so that just, um, you know, everyone wants to get as much as they possibly can on the shelves. Companies that have been running um, at all time low inventories, I'm seeing that across a number of uh, subsectors, you know, are very nervous and the, the business um, the leaders want to, you know, keep a little extra. It's not just about just in time anymore. They want to have a little um, more inventory than they have. So I think we're going to have some restocking and that's, you know, a very positive thing. But, um, you know, just from my view, also the valuations there are more full, in my opinion, in general. So it's just uh, slimmer pickings in industrials. I, I, I just tend to see more opportunity on the consumer discretionary side. I find that your your very sanguine attitude here. I mean, it's great to hear. It's uh, um, thank God somebody is so optimistic about the world, except for people. I also have to say, it does not exactly accord with my view of what the life of an equity analyst must have been like over the last year. Like, I know that you're. I looked at your resume, and it's, you did a lot of value work, which I think is like the only really defensible approach to, to, to security analysis. But I also have to think, I mean, you're in charge of retail names. Many of them must have been, by definition, playing around near bankruptcy levels over the last year. And now you're a sensible, logic-bearing analyst, value, value uh, analyst, dealing with a market where God knows what is coming for you. I mean, I'll, 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 let's face it, a lot of the meme stocks have been aimed at vaguely consumer adjacent, I mean, not necessarily legitimate and vi viable consumer facing names, but a lot of their interest has been in that near that space. I just feel like I would be holed up with a security blanket and a pacifier in a locked room somewhere if I had your job. What's it been like? I mean... That's Chris's yeah. posture with his job too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I do that. I, I do that regardless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing that now. <laughs> yes. No, good to know. I, I totally hear you, but um, I guess just, uh, you know, from my view, um, I, I actually thought 2020 was fascinating. You know, uh, my heart went out to um, everyone who had hard times throughout, you know, lots of families did, lots of people were affected. But as far as the market goes, it was absolutely fascinating because it was a recession unlike any other. Half of my companies uh, did better than ever and, you know, had high, high demand. People were focused on their home, you know, uh, furniture and um getting prepared for work at home, uh, doing school from home. You know, there was tremendous amount of spending that went into all of that. And at the same time, you know, no one was buying suits. No one was, um, you know, buying structured clothes or um, for formal gowns or, you know, going to events. Uh, all of that just dried up overnight. Um, and luckily, um, you know, I spent a number of years on the hedge fund side of the business and you gosh, you really have to babysit your shorts and spend so much time on those. And that would have uh, 
you know, just been so hard this past year. But luckily, Westwood focuses long only for the long term. And we we invest at the uh, intersection of quality and value. And so we really tend to be very, very careful in the risk that we take. You know, that's the first analysis we all do before we look at the upside potential. And we spend um, hours and hours vetting each other's ideas as a team um, before they even go on the approved list to buy. So we tend to, uh, we actually did exceptionally well um, throughout 2020. And um, our analysts know their sector so, so well, you know, they could kind of see around the corners and know what was coming and make educated guesses on, you know, what the future would be like. And they were talking to, you know, all of the uh, teams and management teams and listening to all the calls. So I felt like we had a really good read and it was very apparent to us, like places to completely avoid and others, you know, to spend more time on, wow, could this really be a good opportunity? So um, we sidestepped a lot of the headache, but yeah, it was, um, just a really wild year. I mean, it just felt like uh, you couldn't get off the roller coaster. You couldn't get away from your screens. You know, I remember back in, um, you know, February, March 09, just standing at my desk. I couldn't even sit, you know, just the markets were dropping so quickly and just how rapidly everything developed. It was just incredible. But, um, you know, I and I think the important thing to focus on now is just the future outlook from here. And to me, that seems really bright. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Speaking of bright, uh, Lauren, and um, I will say one thing, um, we have a lot of sort of macro top-down type of guests on here, which are, they're always fascinating and brilliant, but I really like it when we get a, a, a bottoms-up type of person uh, like yourself. And I know I've, I've got a few stocks here that I know have caught your eye. So if we could just go through quickly uh, what you like about uh, 1-800-Flowers. Callaway Golf and Ross stores. I think um, I, I sense one of them has that boomer theme to it, the, the Callaway Golf, but uh, <laughs> maybe 1-800-Flowers has that sort of bright and sunny outlook that you're embracing. But walk us through what's got you excited about those stocks. Yeah, so um, yeah, 1-800-Flowers is um, you know just a fantastic company. They are really, really good at customer service. They have number one market share in e-gifting. And, you know, it was a COVID winner. You know, we'd owned it um, before the pandemic ever happened, but um, and all throughout. But uh, the reason we continue to hold it and love the stock is that um, 
you know, they've really tapped into an entirely new customer base, both at the high end and the low end. So baby boomers who had done all of their gift shopping in person before the pandemic, a lot of them tried out 1-800-Flowers for the first time. And instead of buying, say, a $15 or $20 house plant and sending it to someone, they went for the $200 orchids because they could. And it's just higher margin, um, better business. And so the new customers coming in were higher quality than the customer base they already had. Their retention is over 90%. And so just being able, um, I think there was a lot of skepticism that they could hang on to those customers leaving the pandemic. But, um, you know, they have this wonderful program. It's called the Passport Program. And you spend $20 a year and you get all these, uh, all the, all these benefits, including free shipping. And so people get their address books in there. It's very sticky business. And so they've really done a great job with that. At the same time, they bought P Mall from Bed Bath & Beyond for a song. Um, the you know, it wasn't core for Bed Bath & Beyond. And so um, they really knew what to do with it and personalization um, on coffee mugs and mouse pads and all that stuff is just really popular. It's growing double digits and that's going to lead to an increase in their EBITDA margin over time, probably over 13%. And um, it's just this wonderful business. So I think that they have a long runway of growth ahead of them. Um, Callaway Golf, as you said, it is kind of a boomer play. So people who retire um, tend to play golf twice as often as the average golfer. And so the boomers are um, retiring in force and they're getting out there on the golf course. At the same time, we have the Olympics coming up. Um, golf was out of the Olympics for over 100 years and it just came back in 2016. So we're going to have it back again for the 2020 Olympics, you know, this year. And so that's going to be exciting to see. Um, we have a lot of new young pros uh, that are out there. There's uh, new programs for both um, young men and young women to play golf. You know, it's starting younger and younger. So you can get into a high school program where a couple decades ago, you know, that really wasn't a thing. And so I think that, um, you know, golf trends are going to remain really strong. Um, participation is at record levels. And also uh, first time golfers or new golfers are at record levels. So we're seeing this massive inflow. And once people learn something new, I think the future um, leaving the pandemic is going to be the everyone's going to live their best life. So whatever that means to them, whether that means more of the 2020 lifestyle and they're going to hang on to some of those habits or if they're going to you know, kind of go back to their 2019 ways, they're going to pick and choose what works best for them. And for people to learn golf, um, I think that people really enjoy it. It's a safe way to socialize. Um, and, you know, it's really enjoyable. So I think that um, as more people have four hours to kill, they're going to get out there and uh, catch up with each other and continue to play rounds. And the last element of that is, um, you know, just the the tremendous opportunity that they have with Top Golf. They're going to expand that globally. They're going to franchise internationally. They're going to grow their U.S. space uh, by several hundred stores over the next um, nine years. And so they have a huge opportunity there. And then they have this kind of free option. They said they want to be the Peloton of golf. So for you to be able to take your cell phone, uh, scan your, your golf swing at a you know hotel, maybe you're off at a conference or something from anywhere, anytime and get real-time feedback on your swing and how to improve. Um, I think that's, you know, an opportunity for them, um, you know, and I don't have any of that priced in, but I think that that could be a big opportunity for them in the future. And um, the last one, Ross Doors, um, it's just this incredible um, 
free cash flow generative business. Um, it's steady through recessions. It uh, does really well in recoveries. So virtually uh, all of their stores were closed a year ago. That makes forecasting the reopening extremely difficult. Um, you know, they are a California-based company that continues to expand into the Midwest and eventually um, more to the East Coast. Um towards, you know, where their competitor is, competitors are. And so they have, um, they're one of the few retailers that's able to open a uh, hundred stores a year and um, continue to grow that way. Their, their comps are very positive. And what it, what's so different about them is they look out at all of the dislocations that are happening in the market. Retail's really sped up a lot. The supply chains have gotten a lot faster, but that's leading to a lot of mistakes by the full price sellers. And so they end up with boxes of clothes and they don't have anything to do with them. It's like, oh no, this isn't on trend or, you know, I can't put this out in the stores or I have too much. So they, they call Ross stores and they say, hey, will you take this off my hands? And so they get to survey everything available, take the very best of it, um, you know, kind of mix it like a salad, a unique mix for every single store in the country. They have very sophisticated systems that do just that and sell it at a 40% discount to what the brand would usually sell for. And people really do want um, more for less. They're in a mindset to kind of save money and, you know, uh, get good value for their spending. And that's just a wonderful way to do it. And um, also the last year, people just haven't had that treasure hunt experience. So they're really excited to get back out there and uh, shop in a Ross store. And, you know, we think the business is going to do very, very well long term. You know, I, I learn I can relate to those retiree golfers because I play an average amount of golf, but I take twice as many strokes as, as, as most people. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of the same thing. You, you see what I mean? You like that one, Chris? That's <laughs> an excellent one, Mike. Uh, Maybe your best of the day. The, my best, so one of them had to be, right? It's just the yes, long numbers. Long numbers. <laughs> A low bar. <laughs> Stand clear of the craziest things we saw in markets this week. Well, speaking of best of the day, I think it's time for the segment that many people look forward to as the, the best of what goes up here. And that is the craziest things we saw in markets this week. Uh, Lauren, hopefully they warned you about this gimmick. Uh, not a gimmick, not a gimmick. Tradition, tradition of ours. <laughs> and, and you came prepared. But Chris, I, I know you came prepared. What is the craziest thing you saw this week? I have to say, as somebody who's overseen about 90, 90 million stories about the looming threat of inflation uh, to the market and to everything else over the last uh, two months, the, the sight of the 10-year note going down below 150 on the yield, really, I, I'm not generally a bond guy, so I'm basically like looking and kind of gawking in disbelief at everything that goes on in that market. But that one, I of all of the non-consensus things to happen in the last uh, little while, and there's been a lot of them, that really strikes me as the the craziest, the, certainly the craziest thing I've seen. I, we woke up and there was a bunch of alerts on the terminal showing it going below 150 and being the lowest in two months. And I'm like, wait, I, is this another instance of me not understanding the way bond yields move? But alas, no, they continue to, uh, and, and the, the part of the bond market that's used as a proxy for inflation break even, but clearly the, the concerns about heating price pressures, et cetera, and all these things are supposed to do, do, derail basically everything have just dried up. And I, uh, I feel like there's a, uh, probably a lot of good stories to be written on why that's going on, because we've written all of the possible stories, literally all of them in the universe about why bond yields were heading to two and three and four. And not that many of them even contained like the to be sure section that said could fall between below 150. But I, I mean, I guess it's not great news for 
people who read sort of demand for money as uh, kind of a growth proxy. And I guess it is good news if you're worried that inflation is going to come and tear, tear all of the houses down. But um, yeah, that one uh, was a bit of a, uh, a not-so-head-scratcher for me. I'm still trying to get my mind around what's going on there. Yeah, I agree. And I, I haven't seen any real... Uh, believable explanations for it either. I mean, uh, it's not like we work for a financial news service. (laughs) I think maybe the, the wall street bets crowd found out there were shorts in the bond market. That's my, that's my theory. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) It's all your plans for the next week. Uh, Lauren, how about you? What's the craziest thing you saw this week? The craziest thing I saw this week was, um, the Gap sold out in three hours of a puffer jacket that they released yesterday. So <laughs> the, Kanye, the, the Kanye West jacket? Yes. In the in the middle of June, it was the Kanye West uh, collaboration, and it was a uh, electric blue. It was this very uh, vibrant, bright color. Puffer jackets are actually going to be really big for the fall. But um, just the speed at which it sold out, um, what a great co- collaboration for the Gap. You know, that brand's really struggled over a very long period of time, but um, the collaborations have been, um, you know, just a, um, a shot in the arm for them. And it's really good to see that. So, um, you know, I think that turned a lot of heads. I was really surprised. Did you buy one, Mike? Uh, well, I, I, Chris, I was going to say it's good intelligence for me because I've been dieting. And now if I know that puffer jackets are going to be big in the fall, what's the point? No one will be able to tell anyway. I, I can just wear my puffer jacket everywhere. Wow. And, and you look great. You look great, Mike. Uh, thanks, Chris. All right, well, that's a good one. I, I, uh, you know, I saw that I saw the Kanye West puffer jacket thing, and I was, and, and I hadn't thought of it, a market angle, but you got, you got it right there with the Gap. Uh, I wonder if the Gap price is reacting to that. I don't know. I'll have to check the uh, trusty Bloomberg see if people are are loading into the Gap shares because of uh, the Kanye puffer jacket. That that would truly be a crazy thing for all of us. But um, all right, I'm going to dip into my favorite uh, space, which is the alternative asset class, and and this is. When I say alternative, I, I really mean alternative. And you might even argue that this has nothing to do with markets, but I'll, I'll tell you why it does. Uh, Chris, as you know, I've been editing a lot of Joe Weisenthal lately, and he always uses the notion of the funding for a whaling expedition as sort of the, the original base case for capital markets. You know, you lay off the risk of not getting any whales through investors anyway. It's a bit of a stretch, but but hear me out. And I'm going to read a headline from uh, the New York Post, or I'll read the, the lead of a story from a New York Post. It's about a whaling expedition uh, in the Middle East. I believe it was, where was it? Um, off the coast of Yemen. Fishermen catch 200-pound chunk of whale vomit worth $1.5 million. So why, you might ask, wow. would a, a chunk of whale vomit be worth $1.5 million, which is Valid question. I thought it was going in a museum somewhere, or maybe someone made an NFT out of it or something. But um, apparently, this piece of of whale vomit is so valuable because it contains uh, something that's known as, and I'm totally going to mispronounce it here, um, uh, but I will try to pronounce it. Let me just find it in the story here. Um, I'm really not as prepared as I should be for this segment. Um, Anyway. Amber, Amber Gris, Amber Gris. Mm-hmm. And, the, and mm-hmm. the reason Amber Gris is so expensive, ironically, is because uh, it's used in perfume. Um, it's an odorless alcohol mm-hmm. that makes fragrances last longer. And the whalers were drawn to this whale by 
um, uh, an overpowering scent of fecal matter. This is according to the New York Post here. So you're drawn, you're drawn to a whale with an overwhelming scent of fecal matter to get this material out of the guts of the whale that is priceless for perfume makers because it's odorless. A lot to wrap your head around this story, and that's why it's the craziest thing I saw. But that is all I got on that story. I think we've all heard enough about that story. (laughs) But Chris and Lauren, that's all the time we have this week. Thank you so much. Uh, Great conversation. And Lauren, you've, you've raised my my optimism level greatly with this absolutely i agree i feel much better sensible people are back in charge well good thank you so much for hosting what goes up we'll be back next week until then you can find us on the bloomberg terminal website and app or wherever you get your podcasts we'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on apple Podcasts, so more listeners can find us and you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at Reganonymous. Chris Nagy is at Chris Nagy one You can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcast. And thank you to Charlie Pelt of Bloomberg Radio and the voice of the New York City subway system. What Goes Up is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.